Today is the day. My new TV show, Office Hours, premieres tonight on Bloomberg TV, and it can be streamed anytime on Amazon Prime Video. Office Hours is the first late-night entrepreneur talk show that features the best and brightest entrepreneurial minds from business, sports, entertainment, and beyond to talk about success, failure, and everything in between. Joining me on today's episode is Kim Perrell, CEO and founder of 100.co, my mentor, Blaine Bartlett, the president and CEO of Avatar Resources, and of course, the cornerstone, Jason Waller, the founder and CEO of Power Home Solar. You're going to get a sneak peek at today's episode and our conversation with Sadhguru, the founder of the Isha Foundation, my incredible guru. There was so much wisdom and knowledge that I needed to share with all of you, so I hope you enjoy. And please go watch Office Hours tonight on Bloomberg TV and catch it on Amazon Prime Video. This is Entrepreneurs the Playbook. Wow, welcome back to the Universal Office Hours here, and I have the incredible, I've been waiting for this, uh, the yogi, the mystic, the visionary, the founder of the Isha Foundation, and most importantly to me, my partner in my pursuit. He has promised to take the bigger burden of empowering the world to be happy. I've committed to at least at least a billion people to be happy. Sadhguru, welcome to Office Hours. Yeah. Unbelievable having you. Well, I'm going to start off with a different question. I love to ask questions that I want to know. <laughs> the biggest difficulty I have is something that Lou Holtz, a famous Notre Dame football coach, told me once. He said, David, it's not what you say. It's what they hear. And so if you're not going to speak their language, frequency, or vibration, it doesn't matter how smart you are. So my first question for you is, how do you dummy down the incredible enlightenment that you share? How do you dummy it down so that people like Dave Meltzer can understand what you do? I know your new book is incredible, and I'm sitting there going, this is incredible. How does this guy dummy down this shit? Because it's amazing. <laughs> well, uh... <laughs> Once you get, <laughs> once you realize, you're ready for that question, weren't you? See, this is all pre-rehearsed. You can tell. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm glad that there is at least uh, a few people in the world who have the sympathy to understand daily dumbing down everything. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Daily dumbing down everything and uh, never to look uh, disinterested or uncaring for anybody, doesn't matter what kind of stuff comes your way. Uh, it is not, uh, I don't say it is painful or difficult, but definitely it's a serious compromise. You definitely would like to, uh, you know, people ask me, Sadhguru, what's your uh, dream? I said, well, uh, my dream is one day, we would like to see that if you walk on the street, uh, we will meet a lot of enlightened people. If such a thing happens, I'll be in good company, otherwise all the time dumbing down everything. Yes, it's a certain amount of effort to take the most complex and profound dimensions and put it out in a way that common people understand. Uh, common people does not mean that they have common sense. 
Uh, <laughs> not necessarily. He's talking about me. Yeah, he's, he's talking about me. Lady and I were just talking about that. You can't teach the ignorant. No, no, no you can't I'm, teach it. You can't teach, you can teach ignorant. You can't teach stupid. Yeah. I'm not in any mood to insult anybody. I'm sorry. It's just David who started off. Yeah, me. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I'm having fun. So, but in in an enlightened, fun way. <laughs> sorry, Jason, would be offended. It's, it's okay. <laughs> oh, Blaine. Yeah, uh, Sadhguru, it is just such a pleasure to meet you, truly. Uh, David and I have had conversations about the last you know, couple of meetings that he's had with you, and I'm, I've just been very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, the idea of you know, spirit being undifferentiated, I mean, just in you know, consciousness, undifferentiated, and it shows up differentiated in what we call human beings. And so if, if I kind of come from a position that there's nobody out there but me, how do I end up beginning to have conversations with that undifferentiated spirit in a way that actually wakes that differentiated parts up? And it's kind of you know, a, a part of David's question here about dummying down the conversation so that the, and, and, and this is where it gets tricky linguistically, yeah, the I isn't the I that my body represents, it's the I of the spirit that is you know, using my body uh, as a conduit. How do I begin to speak to that person, that, 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 that piece of me out there, so that there's resonance and actually greater harmony? And it's a move you know, from entanglement to enlightenment, uh, in your words. What's the easiest way to begin to approach that? See, human societies have uh, gotten into this conversation mode so much that uh, mm -hmm. uh, most people believe conversation is everything. Well, this comes from the fundamental where somebody said, I think so, I exist, because people think their thought and emotion is everything. No, our thought and our emotion is just our psychological drama. It is uh, psychologically, in personal life and in social life, it has significance. I'm not saying it has no significance. But the moment you talk about consciousness, <laughs> Uh, well, I think I will repeat this uh, once again because, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to body, <laughs> there's, there's my body and your body. When it comes to mind, there is my mind and your mind. Here and there we may overlap in our minds, but still my mind is my mind, your mind is your mind. But there is no such thing as my consciousness and your consciousness. So, when there is no entity, individual, individual entity like that, then there is no conversation. You only talk to people's bodies and minds, maybe. Mostly to their minds, their emotions, you speak. But if you ever experience anybody beyond that, you will see there will be no conversation because conversation is a meaningless uh, gibberish when it comes to a dimension which is not limited within the psychological sphere. So, what is the significance of this? Do we have to give up the, our mental faculties, our physiological capabilities, no. You can use these things, you can use the prowess of your body and your mind only when there is a little bit of distance from that, because only in that distance do you really grasp the nature of your body and your mind. Right now, being stuck in it, there is no idea or there is no perception of what it is. There is a perception that this is me, for example, let us say you are out to catch a plane, you're driving to the airport, a lot of traffic. Well, this traffic becomes so frustrating 
and most people will fret and fume. Somehow you got to the airport, then the, got into the airplane and you took off. When it takes off, still the traffic is in a jam. When you look down, it, quite, it looks quite cute actually, you know? <laughs> it all looks quite cute if it's in the evening, it's all these red lights and white lights, looks really nice actually, because you are not in it, just a little distance. The moment there is a little distance, your whole perspective of everything is completely different. See, for example, we could have continued to argue whether the planet is round or flat. Even now, if you walk up and down the floor, in your experience it's just flat. This argument would have continued. When we took to seafaring, we realized that there… it could be possible that planet is round. When we started flying, it was very clear the planet is round. We went and stood on the moon and looked down, one hundred percent clear the planet is round. So, such a simple thing, you cannot grasp simply because you are in it. The moment you distance yourself, you know everything about the nature of your body and your mind. So, to have a grasp of what this is, the faculties that you have, these two are vehicles without which you cannot drive through the life. Without body, without mind, you cannot walk through this life. It is like an automobile, let us say. You have a car, a wonderful car, you drive to your destination and then you find this new beautiful car never opens the doors, that means you cannot get out. Well, this is a terrible car. So this is what has happened to people because they have gotten identified with something that they drive. Mm -hmm. I love that metaphor. Yeah, I, lo that, I like that yeah. distance, the perspective. Like what do you mean? You like the car, Kim? You. you like that car? Well, yeah. Depends what the car is. Like the car. Well, I like the little cars with the, uh, with the blinking lights down on the traffic. I mean, I can see the Sadhguru, visual, these, these right? Fly private, I mean, right? Hey, these yeah. guys fly private. They, they got distance over their cars. I like it. It's a different world they live in. Stop. But to your point, I like to ask the questions that I, I would like answered. So, um, you know, from... And, and I think dumbing it down is, you know, the simplicity, I think... If I could ask, you know, and get your advice in terms of, I think people are looking for right now a lot of happiness, like to your point, like what is one thing that you would suggest someone do every day in order to drive that happiness? Like is there something, what's the simplest way to create happiness from an individual perspective? And so just trying to understand and get your advice on that. See, you don't have to drive happiness if you do not invent misery you will be happy because the very nature of life is such, it's exuberant and joyful. It is just that in your mind, you will create a whole new world which is not a reality. What is happening in your mind, as I earlier said, it's just your psychological stuff. But the moment you believe what's happening in your mind is existentially true, then all these miseries come because this is your creation. If you live in this larger creation, there is no such thing as misery, only the misery happens in one's mind. Suffering happens only in one's mind, it never happens in the air around you. I know people have told you there is love in the air, there is neither love in the air nor misery in the air. Both will happen only within you. If we understand this much, if you know all your experience happens only from within you, if you're conscious of this, and if you're in charge of it, well, would you cause misery or joy to you? Because both misery and joy are produced by you. Why would any human being produce unpleasantness for themselves? 
simply because they're unconscious that they are creating it. So, joy and misery are not something that you have to work towards, you have to drive for, you have to be in pursuit of it. I know in pursuit of happiness is, in, uh, you know, enshrined in the constitution of uh, United States, but happiness is not something that you pursue because it's not somewhere else. When you are a child, you are simply joyful for nothing, isn't it? So what happened? Oh, we grew up. Well, you're at the age of five, if you are so joyful, by the time you are thirty, you should be ecstatic by normal standards <laughs> of growth. <laughs> <laughs> but just I love that. Kim, Kim I love that. that. I'm like, I'm Kim, you actually are. <laughs> yes, I love that, actually. Well, Sadhguru, I... I'm listening to you, and I feel like you guys were dumbing it down for me, Dave. And, and so, so, so thank you. I, I, but I'm getting inspired listening to you because it's the simple things. It's the simple concept that you're saying of it's here in your mind. And if you just look and take yourself out of the situation to find happiness... And I, you know, I have, Dave's one of my coaches and mentors, and he talks highly of you. And so he's helping me find a way to be more spiritual in life and a way to really take it to the next level, to elevate, to separate myself from any kind of negativity and to be more positive. Talk about mentors or coaches. Who was your mentor or coach that helped get you to where you are? Uh... Hmm. <laughs> this is. Uh, I, I must now. I must tell you. Now you ask for something. I must tell you my problems now. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, there we go. You got four of them. You got four of them right here. You simpled it down for me, so I thought I'd throw something out there. We are your problem. <laughs> so uh, you know, this is. I was just twenty-five years of age. By then, I was in business for nearly five and a half years at that time, and uh, for those days. For a, you know, a medium-level town in which, for, which I was living, I was very successful. Everybody thought I'm super successful. I already have half a dozen businesses going and everything going well. And uh, when everything that you do is working very well, uh, slowly you think uh, the planet is actually revolving around you, not around the sun, you know. I'm uh, in this state, I'm super skeptical about everything, but I'm cocky and... Uh, feeling wonderful about all the success, everybody's clapping their hands. But I have a billion questions in my mind. I always carried a cloud of questions right from my childhood, which I found uh, nobody could answer. They would always refer to this scripture, that scripture, and they will say, somebody knew, but well, whoever that man, who knows if I ask, somebody that knew is always dead. <laughs> you know, I never found a person who is living and who knows. <laughs> that never happened to me. Well, many wonderful people I met on the way, that's a different matter, but nobody really had answers for everything. So, this was really eating me up from inside, though on one level I'm successful and very happy and going on fine with life, but uh, young and successful, everything is great. But something inside, the questions are always keeping me like a hollow drum which makes a lot of noise in my head. So one afternoon I just went and sat somewhere, I rode my motorcycle, parked and I went and sat on a hill. And uh, suddenly I, re you know, I just burst into ecstatic states. Uh, I thought this is ten, fifteen minutes, but this lasted for about four and a half hours, I never realized this. For the first time, I have tears of ecstasy 
flowing out of me, my shirt is all wet for four and a half hours, I'm sitting there. But in my experience, I thought it must be ten, twenty minutes like that. So then when I started looking at this, what is happening with me, the only thing my logical mind could tell me was, maybe I'm going off my rocker. When I asked my close, closest friends, something is happening to me, it's too good. If I sit here, every cell in my body is dripping ecstasy, what is this? Then the only thing my friends could ask was, hey, come on, what did you drink, what did you pop, you know, this is uh, that time <laughs> in the world. And it's once again… <laughs> it's, like, it's still that, that time in the world. <laughs> again, it's back, I think <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> I was just looking at this, what is it? What is it that makes me burst into ecstasy like this? Then I realized that if I don't mess with my mind, if I do not put my hand into my mind, everything in my system just bursts into ecstatic states. I experimented this for a few weeks and I clearly knew if I do not touch my mind, I'm just bursting into blissful ecstatic states. Then I sat down and made a plan. Uh, I was twenty-five, you know <laughs> I sat down and made a plan that in the next two and a half years, at that time, the world's population was 5.6 billion people. And uh, I said, in two and a half years' time, I will make the entire world ecstatic because here I have it, I have the tools. All you have to do is just stay away from your mind and you will be ecstatic. I thought within two and a half years, I will make the entire world ecstatic, but uh, 39 years, here I am. <laughs> and now David, David has promised me, I hope he keeps this, he said he will reduce it by one billion for me, but the population has become nearly eight billion. So, people are saying these days that we are touching over two billion people on the planet, but two billion is still not my idea of humanity. Humanity is everybody. So, I will... <laughs> I will die as a failure, but as a blissful failure. So, this is what happens to you when you shift your focus in your life, from personal ambition to a larger vision. That means you will die as a failure, but a joyful failure because you have a constipated desire and you fulfill it and you're feeling great. I think it's a stupid way to address human life. When human life has the potential to explore just about anything, you set a small desire, get there and think I've made it in my life. This is called ambition. I think ambition is just a constipated expression of human consciousness. <laughs> and to, to that measure, as a last question, uh, and I'm so blessed, like I said, to consider you a mentor, a living one, by the way, who I gladly partner with and will stand by my mission. Still alive, David. If I die blissed. Still alive. <laughs> still alive, 39 years, but I will. But that idea of pursuing happiness is so interesting. You know, Will Smith, Deepak Chopra, myself, you are a mentor too. We, uh, you know, Will Smith did the movie Pursuit of Happiness and joking around with him and Chris Gardner, the author, I said, happiness is the pursuit. Now I'm trying to reconcile that pursuit of, you know, this human constipation of a smaller ambition compared with the allowance that pursuing is happiness with the humility that uh, I have dreamed so big that it may in this lifetime not be attainable, that I will die a blissful failure is a new concept for me to handle. And how can people reconcile pursuit and happiness? Because I believe what you're saying, if I didn't hear you wrong, is that there is happiness in pursuing something, but let's choose the bigger abundance 
of the universe instead of some small constipated human, you know, a Rolls Royce or, or a private jet? Uh, see, uh, I mean, uh, you, you put it in a certain way, you said still there is a certain thing in uh, pursuing something. See, pursuit is of things which are outside of us. But have you ever seen happiness in the air? No, it only happened within you. Have you seen misery in the air? No, it happened only within you. When you are full of it, you may think the whole world is miserable, our whole world is joyful, depending upon what you are going through. But no, human experience is essentially happening only within us. We are exaggerating this or misunderstanding that it is somewhere else. This is like a man who goes to the apple tree. He's a potato farmer, goes to the apple tree. And instead of looking up to pluck the fruits, he will start digging the roots because he thinks apples could be there. This is the case of a potato farmer going to the apple tree. That is what pursuit of happiness means. Wow. Well, once again, you didn't disappoint and I hope I don't disappoint you. I am still standing by my commitment and I aspire uh, to join you. I will hold you to that one billion less. You <laughs> That's… you got it. You can sleep well at night, my friend. Keep up the great work. The incredible Sadhguru, uh, be sure you check out his new book as well, Karma Yogi's Guide to Crafting Your Own Destiny. You got a dream for what you want. Everything and all meaning is found within yourself. You give meaning to everything you see. So let's give a happy meaning to our lives and share abundance with one another. Thank you. Bless you, my friend. Namaskaram. Thank you, all of you. Thank you very much. Namaskaram. Thank, Thank you, you, Sadhguru. See you soon. Uh, I will see you. you soon. Thank you, the incredible Sadhguru. Here on Office Hours, what a journey we're taking today. Wow. That was <laughs> fun. <laughs>